be in 1 Samuel, if you'd like to turn there and I'll open us in prayer. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to pray for our church and others that, Lord, we long to see healed and long to see restored and reconciled to you. Those that are hurting and have suffered loss, Lord, we um, pray that Lord, they would find great gain in Christ and find fulfillment in you. Father, we pray for the Gray family now, and Lord, we pray for Becky, Gary, and Aaron, and Nathan, and Lauren, and then also Gary's siblings, their families, Lord, as they suffer the loss of Gary's father. And God, I pray that, Lord, you would just um, allow them to experience special peace and comfort now, special love, um, assurance of your goodness, assurance of eternal life, assurance of healing and restoration and imperishable bodies that are to come, assurance that when absent in the body, we're present with the Lord, therefore we can find great comfort, loss of loved ones. And we grieve with hope. Father, I ask that you would um, hear the prayers of many that um, pray for Herb and his illness and the suffering that he's going through. Father, we pray that you would grant uh, favor and wisdom to um, nurses and doctors that are dealing with him in the hospital. Lord, we pray for an extra measure of grace for Margaret as she travels back and forth from the hospital and, um, and, and, and it, as it is so hard for her to see her husband suffering. We also pray for strength for Margaret as so many things that Herb has done for so many years, she's having to figure out how to make sure they get done. We'll give her wisdom and guidance there. Father, I pray for the many in our um, church family that are needing you and needing your presence and needing knowledge of who you are. Um, Lord, I thank you that um, Lord, we get to um, witness Jack Vincent here and witness um, the answers to so many prayers that we have uh, been a part of and as we've joined with many in his family and um, his church family, seeing, uh, seeing how you have healed his body. Father, I pray that your word would work in mighty and powerful ways in our lives. Lord, I pray that that would be the case today. And God, I pray that, Lord, we would not come 
Lord, I pray that we uh, would not come um, being negligent, but that we would see that we've been given a great gift to be able to read your word, hear from your spirit. Father, I pray that we would take up the armor of God now. We would see that we live in the midst of evil days, but that your goodness can reign in our hearts. And so I pray that we would embrace that very thing. Looking to see, claim the victory of Christ. Father, we pray that you would breathe your word on us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please turn to 1 Samuel chapter 1, and we are going to be reading through the end of chapter 1 and on into chapter 2. And if you remember, we started this series last week, and, um, and so this book is about the story of Samuel, and then it's about the story of Saul, the story of David. But before we ever get to read about the people that we're so familiar with, familiar with, we are first introduced to Hannah. And really what we see here is an an amazing story of God's grace, God's faithfulness, and then the faith of Hannah. And the fact that this is um, a faith that pleases God. And because of the faith of Hannah, and sometimes we fail to realize this about Biblical names, but we can read through the Bible and we can read a lot of odd names. And the truth is that um, Hannah was no more common of a name back then than the name Elkanah. Uh, it was just, it, they all meant the same, they were, they were all common names back then. But there are people like Hannah and Samuel and David. Their names have carried on and are now common names today really because of how God set them apart. And uh, so we, when we look at the life of Hannah, we see someone that God called and then we see someone who responded. And so we're still looking at her life, which leads into her son's life, Samuel, which we will get into next week. But today we will read... Verses 21 through chapter 2, verse 10. If you would please follow along with me in your Bibles. And hear the word of the Lord now. The man, Elkanah, and this is following, uh, just to introduce this, this is following Eli. Eli's address to Hannah saying the Lord has, has heard your prayer and he's going to answer it. And, and we're told by Scripture that uh, Hannah's face changed from being sad. It was now a face of joy. And she then named her son. Um, and then we know that she then was going to have a son. She found out and she named his name Samuel. So this is after Samuel's birth in verse 21. The man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. 
Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine. And she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, O oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And he worshipped the Lord there. Chapter 2, verse 1. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My strength is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by Him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind own strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and He exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them He has set the world. He will guard the feet of His faithful ones. But the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the power of his anointed. May God bless that, the reading of his word. And as we look there... And as we look to see how God wants us to see the life of Hannah and even have uh, insight into her private life, may we see what we can learn from her life. I hope that we will see that everything that we look at here will either lead up to or build upon this, that giving our faith back to God leads to worship and to knowledge. And we'll touch on a bit the interaction between faith and knowledge. And the first thing that we're going to see in this regard is that the call to faith is the call for faith. So the call to faith is the call for faith. And we'll distinguish that and see how they build upon one another. And to do that, I want us to go back to a part of the passage that we read last week in chapter 1 of 1 Samuel, as we looked at Hannah and as we were reminded the state that Israel was in, that we were, uh, we were faced with Israel as a barren land when we're introduced to this story. And when we're introduced to the life 
of Hannah, we're introduced to a time in the history of Israel when it's barren and God's voice is silent. So much so that when Eli saw Hannah praying there in the house of the Lord, and when she was so broken and her devotion was so intense that he was certain that she was not filled with the Spirit, but instead was filled with wine. And now, Eli, by this time, he had been a priest for over 20 years. Samson had been dead for a little over 20 years. Eli had been a priest. And so, he did not recognize Hannah's devotion. Priests for 20 years had never seen this. Most likely, Hannah did not even recognize her own devotion at this time. Because they had gone up to Shiloh year after year. But we see this set apart as a different year. A time when Hannah cannot handle any longer that as her family goes to Shiloh and Elkanah's other wife, Penina, goes with them and she, every year she has more and more children. And every year Hannah comes, no children. And she comes this time and she's broken, provoked to the point of weeping. And she probably did not even recognize her own devotion. And so we can, as we approach this, we can see that God had called Hannah to this place that she was in. And He had called her to this place of faith. And she was summoned by God to seek Him in this time of barrenness and to seek Him in a barren land. So her own barrenness and the land in which she dwelt in was a barren land. And, it, and as we see this, we can see that this is a very common theme in Scripture. That what we see in Scripture is that God's, when God seems most invisible, when rebellion is at its peak, God will summon one of His children to faith. We see this in the life of Noah. We see this with the account of Abraham. This is clear with David. This is clear with King Josiah. Of course, Hannah. And we're probably even more familiar with the account of John the Baptist. How God raised him up in a land of barrenness and rebellion to speak to him. And so, God called Hannah to faith. And He called Hannah to faith for her faith. I've always had an interest in my family history for as long as, just about as long as I can rem remember. But last year I really wanted to start doing some real research and begin to dig into my family's name and generations back. And as I was doing that, I kept coming to dead end after dead end, and, or some things would get confusing, or. I knew that some things weren't adding up. So I started to make some phone calls to some relatives. And every phone call would lead back to this one, I think maybe a second cousin. It would lead back to this second cousin. Named, and her name is Miss Sarah Ann Curry. She's still living. And they would tell me, they'd say, she may let you copy some of this genealogical history. But she, she's not going to let you take any of it, and she's only going to let you copy some, if any at all, because she's very protective of it. She doesn't want our family's history to get into the wrong hands, which can tell you there's probably some weird stuff there. 
And, and she doesn't want it to get lost or to get um, divided into different people's hands. So I finally got up to the nerve to call the second cousin of mine. And she's 91 years old. Called her last year. And though I had not known her, uh, she, had, she does such a good job of keeping up not only with the, her past, but also with future generations. She knew where I was and knew about me, and she invited me to come to Auburn. That's where she lived. So I was in Auburn all those years and had no idea she was there. And she invited me to come, and she would talk to me about all of the family, and then she took me up to her genealogical room, and she had inherited this from a great aunt who had spent 40 years doing this research on the McCall line. And she invited me there, and it was just piles of boxes and things. And she said, Jake, I want you to have all of this. And I said, well, I'm prepared to make some copies. And she said, no, I want you to have it. I'm not going to live much longer. And I'm so worried that it's going to go to the wrong people. And I want you to have it. And so I was so humbled there, but I was so excited. And I took it and I embraced it. And she said, I believe that you'll develop it. I believe that you'll take care of it. And I believe that you'll pass it down correctly. And I thanked her and I I really realized, you know, she made no demands on me, but she gave me a gift. She gave me a gift because she expected me to put that gift into use and put it into action. And so I wanted to give you that illustration to say this is what God does when he gives us the gift of faith. And this is what we see in the life of Hannah. God summoned her in a time of barrenness for her to recognize his power, to recognize his abilities, and to recognize his faithfulness in a time when she had not heard from God before. She knew some things about him being an Israelite, but she had not heard from him before. And this was a gift from God to Hannah. And as she was weeping and pouring out her soul before the Lord, she was experiencing the gift. She was experiencing the gift and the call to faith. Now, Hannah could have gone to Shiloh, and this is probably how she went to Shiloh in years past. She could have gone to Shiloh, offered the bull or the goat or the lamb, and she could have said, God, I'd love to have some children. Perhaps you will see fit to do that, and then forgotten that she had even spoken to him. Or maybe she said, well, I did that. We'll see what happens. And we can probably relate very well to that. That is often how we approach the Lord. God, this would be great. Maybe this is the right thing to do, and so I'm going to ask for this. But Hannah approached God as she was broken. She tells Eli she's troubled in spirit. She seems foolish. She makes vows with God as she approaches Him in prayer. She puts it all on the line. So here's what we can know from Hannah here. As she's been summoned by God, she does not approach God thinking He may or may not be there. This is not someone that's even aware of her surroundings. Here's the high priest of Israel. And she goes, 
and looks like she's intoxicated. Because she approaches the Lord with her soul, with her whole heart. And she's been called to faith. And she offers herself to God. And so I I would hope to ask us this. Is God sharing the life of Hannah with us for a reason? And yes, we know that He shared the life of Hannah for a reason in the Word of God. But is He sharing with you right now the life of Hannah for a reason? And I believe that He is. And as we look at Hebrews 11.6, we see that it is impossible to please God without faith. And this verse becomes crystal clear here with Hannah. Because it pleased God... To have Hannah trust him. And it pleased God to give Hannah the gift of faith. And it pleased God to give Hannah a son. And it pleased God to use Hannah's son Samuel to bring his voice back to Israel. To spread his glory across that land. Ultimately across the earth through Christ. And this was by the power of God through the faith of his child Hannah. And therefore, as we look at the life of Hannah, may we see that God calls us to Him. He calls us with a gift. He calls us to Him with faith that He gives us. And He calls us to faith for our faith. He wants our faith. He longs for our faith. And He wants us to take the gift that we've received and to embrace it. Not just to put it in our heads and be thankful that we've been given it or to store it away. But He wants us to be so thankful that He's given it to us that then we return it back to Him. And we see that as we continue in the life of Hannah. And we see that as she was given faith and then as as God answered her prayers, that she then responded with generosity and with sacrifice. And so as we know, Hannah was given a son, Samuel, and now he is of age. And she takes Samuel to Shiloh to give him to the service of the Lord under the care of Eli. We see this in verse 27 and 28 where she says, For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. Now, does this mean that you should all... Give me your firstborn children so that I can put them to work here at Grace Fellowship. So that they can live here and serve the church, grow up to be future pastors. And first I would say I hope not because I don't want them. (laughs) But secondly, I would say we can very clearly see that this is a unique account. Nowhere do we see that this is practiced or commanded. And in fact, God, we do not even see evidence of God telling Hannah that she must follow through on her vow. He never commanded Hannah to make the vow or even, even follow through, though she did. Therefore, this is not a call to emulate in an exact sense. Yet we can learn so much from Hannah's response to God's faithfulness. And so here's what we can learn from Hannah. We've established He calls her to faith. This is a gift of God. He has called her to believe in Him. And then she responds by offering her faith back to God in a state of barrenness and brokenness by appealing to the one that can give her a son. And then she offers up the fruit of her faith to God. 
She responds with generosity and with sacrifice. By the way, what we can see from this passage is that Hannah had already given her son Samuel to the Lord. Before she brought him up to Shiloh, we can see that she had already committed him to the Lord. And and we see this at the end of chapter 1. Right after she says that as long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord, we see that the Word says, and he worshipped the Lord there. And then we see at the end of our, or right after the last, right after Hannah's prayer, we see that the boy ministered to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest as Elkanah and Hannah were leaving in chapter 2, verse 11. And so what that tells us is, is that Samuel goes to the house of the Lord not to become a believer. He was already a believer. Hannah had given her boy to God long before. Customary at that time was for um, children not to be weaned till between three and five years old, most likely, most often around four years old. And so what we see there is a four-year-old, possibly five-year-old boy going to the house of God to serve the Lord. And he went worshiping. Hannah had given her son to the Lord prior to that. And this is to tell us, and this is to make clear that we can, and there's a lot of children in our church, and this is to make clear that our children can worship God at a very early age. And this is to make clear that Hannah expected Samuel to begin to worship the Lord as a young boy. Now, we don't know how young he was when he began to grasp who God was, but we know that by the time he was weaned, he went to the house of the Lord worshiping and then ministering to God, giving his life to God. And so this is to tell us that we as not just parents, but as a church family who take vows to raise children here, the fear and admonition of the Lord, that we should expect them to worship. We should expect them to love God. And we should long for them to see that very early on. And we can quickly say, well, they're so young and they may not grasp it, they may not understand, and they're, and they're so selfish and disobedient. And beware that we don't even let our own selves into the kingdom. Or beware of who we will keep out of the kingdom that are perhaps neighbors that are adults. And people that are in our church that are adults. Because you can be assured that Samuel did not grasp every little thing about who God was when he was four years old. But he worshipped and he ministered. And it's because Hannah had given her son to the Lord long before she took him up to Shiloh. So we're called to teach our children to pray. Teach them to worship. And I can assure you this, as I've witnessed... Not, not just my own children, but children in, in this church that they, as they've prayed, their prayers aren't hindered by doubt. And they pray believing. I just heard Elena mention yesterday when she really wants something, she gets our daughter Ellie to pray for it. <laughs> Ellie's prayers aren't hindered by her own doubts and wrestling. 
So why does so this leads us to this? Why does Hannah make the vow that she made? Why did she make that vow? And we can know that it was probably made in desperation. She was hurting and struggling. So any, she would do anything at that point. But what she was really doing is she was understanding the gift of faith. And she was understanding that the gift of faith was not primarily for her. That the gift of faith that she had received from God was, was for God and for others. And therefore she prayed that God would give her a son that would serve, him, serve God and then serve other people. And so we can all think of things to ask God for. I can make huge lists. But how can we give our faith to God in such a way wherein we approach God to supply us with something that we will give to Him? What if our prayers are focused the way that Hannah's prayers are focused? In such a way where we say, God, we are longing for this so that we can give to you. Give something to us so that we can then turn around and give it back to you. Hannah interacted with God in this way. God, give me a son so that I can give my son to you. Reveal yourself to me so that I can serve you. And this is ultimate humility. Hannah is saying, God, I have nothing to give to you. Hannah is saying, God, I have nothing to offer you. Will you please offer me faith so that I can give it back to you? Offer me your love and blessing so that I can bless you, Lord. That's how God would love to interact with us. A couple of weeks ago, maybe a couple of months ago, I heard heard Ellie... I overheard Ellie ask her mom if her mom would show her how to draw a heart. Lena showed her, and then she gave it to her. She said, I wanted to show you I loved you. And so Lena showed her, gave it to her, and then Ellie gave it to her. That's a picture. God gives us, He gives it to us, and then He calls us to give it back. And this is how we interact with God. This is how Hannah's interacting with Him. Asking Him to help us be generous and sacrificial for Him and for others. And this all leads to knowledge. And we see this in the song or the prayer of Hannah. That faith leads to worship and then it leads to knowledge. This is what St. Augustine said when speaking on the Trinity in his works. He says, Before we have the power to conceive and perceive God as He can be conceived and perceived. And then he's kind of a side note. He says, For this is permitted to the clean of heart. Blessed are the clean of heart, for they shall see God. He says, This happens only When he loves God by faith, he says, It will not be possible for the heart to be cleansed so that it may be apt and meet to see him. 
Faith, therefore, avails to the knowledge and to the love of God, leads to the knowledge and to the love of God, not as though of one wholly unknown or loved at all, but to the end, and that he may be known more clearly and loved more steadfastly. And so faith led Hannah to God, God's blessing understanding of who God is, and then it increases her knowledge. And so we see here through the song or the prayer of Hannah in chapter 2 what she learned. So what did Hannah come to know about the Lord? And her song expresses this vividly. And we're going to see six things which will not take long, I promise. But we're going to see six things from Hannah's song that, that her faith allowed her to come to this kind of knowledge of God which is amazing. And we see this, the first thing is, and we see it in verse 1, that it is God that gives her joy and strength. And it's God that makes her heart full. And it's God that supplies her with power. Colossians 1.11 tells us, May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. Meaning, may God strengthen you. May His Spirit strengthen you. And so Hannah has learned this. She has learned that God is the one who gives her joy and strength. Secondly, and we see this as we go down the prayer in verses 2 and 3, that God alone is holy, which means that it is only the arrogant and the prideful that believe that they have more wisdom than God, that believe that they need to change God into something else. Hannah is saying here that she has come to an understanding that God alone is holy. That as we try to make God into something that He is not, that what we are doing is trying to apply our fallenness to who God is. But God alone is holy. And that when we do that, we suffer from pride, arrogance. And so Hannah learned that she was able to accept the mystery of God's providence through this that she went through. Thirdly, we see this in verses 4 and 5, that the Lord can give and the Lord can take away. And that this can be, He can take away, He can give and take away possession, and He can give and He can take away life. Again, Hannah has learned that this is according to the mystery of His good and perfect will. But that she stands in subjection and with a humble in a humble state before the holy God as He gives and as He takes away. Fourthly, in verse 6, we see not only does God create life and not only is He in control of when life ends, God can raise the dead. This is prior to the resurrection of Christ as we know. But Hannah came to know that God is one who can raise the dead. And we see this in verse 6. Fifthly, we see this in verse 9, that God gives special covenantal care to those who He loves. Hannah understands that God is faithful to His people. And she also understands that the wicked, the proud, the arrogant that refuse to see Christ and continually reject Christ, will be judged at the end. And she sees that they will not prevail. And therefore, we can leave 
vengeance in the hands of God because justice will come to pass. Justice will come to pass according to God. And then finally, number six, the sixth thing that Hannah has come to understand, gained in knowledge of God, is that God will provide a king. This is the end of her prayer. That she knows that God will provide a king for His people. And this is to say that Hannah sees that she needs a king. And she needs her king to be anointed. Because she knows that she needs someone to be her head. And so we can say that she's looking to possibly David... And she may be in one sense, but ultimately we know that Hannah is looking to a Savior. Hannah is looking to a Christ. And so what Hannah is saying is that all this that I've seen through faith and through God providing and through God taking away and through my brokenness and barrenness is that I need a king and it must be the perfect king. And then she knows that God will provide this king for her and for all of his people. Because he's faithful to provide a redeemer. So somehow, Hannah understood that God was making a way to love and bless her. And she knew that it couldn't be in herself. So she knew that God was making a way to love and bless her through the anointed Christ. God longs for us to share in His glory through believing and through worshiping and through knowing the King, the faithful Christ, the Anointed One. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we can all just somewhat stop in our tracks See that we have been given the gift of faith. That it's a gift undeserved, unmerited. We're unworthy of it. You've given it to us. May we see that that is a gift that pleases You. And therefore, as we long to please the God who is revealed Himself to us, who saved us. Father, I pray that we would do that not through our works, not through our effort, not through our flesh, but we would do that through the gift of faith, by the power of the Spirit of God. So just stop us in our tracks for a moment. Let us receive the understanding that this is a gift. And then let us see that it pleases you for us to give this gift back to you. May that shape our prayers and our actions. May it shape how we read the Bible. May it shape how we interact with family members and neighbors. We approach all of this in faith. And then, Father, provide for us in such a way that we may be generous, sacrificial. Father, bless us, not for our sake, but so that we may bless you, O God. What a gift that is. And then, Father, I pray, Lord, that as we leave here, that we would be reminded that 
even asking something so boldly as this that it is only because we have a king. May we be reminded that you have provided a king that is anointed. He is our Messiah. He is our head. We look to him. We look to him for all things. We pray this in his name. Amen.